Welcome to the Institute's Leading Edge, a show dedicated to helping the automotive aftermarket service industry. Covering topics suggested by you, the listener, we dive into what's important, getting you what you need to succeed. Here's what's coming up. If there's any bitterness there, if there's any anything where they, um, there's a wedge, it'll show eventually. And, and that's where I think you need to have that management. You need to have the person who is in charge of employees, it may be a shop foreman, the CEO, he has to make sure that is everybody gets along, whether you're there or you're not there. He hit on the money. If you can be a mentor and a father figure to your younger techs, employees, uh, anybody, and you get involved in their life just enough because you do care and then they know you care. I mean, you got an advantage right there. And, and, and guess what? It's free doesn't cost you anything to be a mentor and it will make you more money. We need your help. By submitting questions or topics to institute at ifrave.com, we can continue to cover things that are relevant to you. But for now, we've collected a panel of experts to get you serious results. So what are we waiting for? Let's get into it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Leading Edge. This is episode 74. Uh, we're getting there. We're approaching 100, the big one zero. Uh, it's going to be a, an eventful day. Today, uh, the big, we're... The big one, zero, zero. Big one, zero, zero. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys for tuning in and listening. Uh, if you're watching this, also great. Make sure to to uh, ask any questions you have. Comment down in the comment section below. We are watching that. And if you're listening to this, hopefully uh, you get something from this. Let us know with a like and a share. And make sure to uh, subscribe so that you can be notified when we post new episodes. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about small business in America and the climate today and some of the advantages and disadvantages of small businesses in this arena. So today we've got Fernando and I thought Jonathan was going to be on here, but it's just going to be Fernando from Milestone Motors uh, and Zane Gephardt from Legend Motor Works, as well as my dad, Cecil Bullard and myself. Um, again, comment down below with any questions or thoughts you might have as you watch this. So first off, what advantages do you see uh, that you guys have as a small business? Myself, I believe we, we have the advantage that we can make executive decisions. We don't have to follow a chain of command. We, let's see... We can make adjustments, test and tune. We're a little more adaptable and we can see in real time the results. Yeah, I think, um, you know, small business compared to like dealerships, corporate uh, repair shops. I think we're a little more recession proof. Uh, there's not such a huge bottom that could fall out. Um in a recession, a lot of people may lose their big car payments, have to give back their cars. They're going to be looking for, you know, cheaper cars and just drives the repair industry through the roof. So I feel like as long as you're not huge or you have multiple smaller operations, then you can stay afloat, you know, when, when, there's, a, when there's a dip. And if there's a dip in the economy, I, I feel like I've seen it. I mean, I'm 38 years old, and I feel like I've seen two small dips, two small recessions, and um, small shops, they, they get busy. They get busier. That's really interesting that you say that, that, uh, that you believe small business is recession-proof. Well, right? Yeah. Statistical, statistical data says that during a recession or hard times, uh, automotive uh, repair shops actually do better uh, because people are going to hold on to their cars longer. Now, it, uh, again, if you look at statistical data, the, the latest data says that people are going to keep their cars just past 13 years. I don't know if it's 13 years and four months or something like that. Um, so that trend has been increasing and increasing over the past, well, for as long as I've been in the business. Um, during a, a recession or hard times, people are a lot less likely to go out and buy a new car. We have another thing in our industry right now. Um, there's a chip shortage. So if you drive by the local Toyota dealer, the Ford dealer, whatever, and you look on their new car line, they don't have a lot of new cars because they don't have chips to power the computers to make the computers work on the new cars. So that would be an indication that 
automotive businesses would do better, uh, at least until some of those issues are solved. Automotive well, service I, businesses. Yeah, I want to get I want to get um, kind of back to that question of why is a small company uh, what what are the advantages? And I think we're really much more agile. We're more like a speedboat than a, a, a freightliner. Um, and so we can make quick turns and we can do things. And I was going to say that, you know, we can try things with, with less financial risk, but I'm not sure that's true because when you have a big, like your Coca-Cola and you decide to do new Coke and it costs you, you know, $10 billion, who cares? You know, the company's worth, you know, $235 billion uh, today. So when you're a small business, you know, um, if you make mistakes, they can be a large portion of what you might have in savings. So I think the risk is, is still there because my business is smaller. I have less money in the bank and I'm worth less. So if I lose, I don't know, if I lose 100 grand or 200 grand, it greatly affects my company and could actually put most small businesses in America out of business. So I'm not sure. I mean, the advantage of small business, I don't have all that overhead. I don't have all those people, but I also I'd say that's probably a disadvantage because if I had all those people and all that overhead, I'd probably have more money in the bank and I could take more risks, although I probably wouldn't because I'd be a big company and it's harder for me to move forward. Right. I don't know if that's confusing or not, but you know, yeah, it goes, it goes both ways. I'd say, because at the same time, if, um, for example, during this coronavirus, my local dealership, I worked there for seven years, our local BMW dealership and shop foremans were furloughed. Technicians that have been there over 10 years were furloughed and they didn't hire them back. You know, meanwhile, the shops that we interact with in, in the smart group, they've thrived during this time and they stayed open and their, their, their responsibility was to make sure that their employees were okay and they were there to, to service so, their clients. So do you think that, do you think that the hindrance was that they had too much bureaucracy? So the bigger company has more liability on hand. So HR shut things down. They wouldn't allow employees to come back. Uh, do you think that might have been a factor as to why they they it's didn't fine. make well, it they have COVID? to follow they have to follow certain rules you know if um we're all responsible and have liability but they are let's say our local publics here they they stopped using the masks and then Home Depot stopped using the masks and it kind of goes a chain where everybody the, the corporate companies follow each other because they don't want to be the one they don't want to be the one to first. take the first step. Right. <laughs> hey, they, they probably have larger risk in the sense of if somebody sues them because you gave me COVID, they have deeper pockets and therefore it'll be a bigger lawsuit. There's more liability as far as financially. But it's also, I think, a, a, a function of structure. So if you look at um, your local dealership, they have shop foremen. Um, they have lots of technicians that in, during a tough time they can cut the middle management out and uh, they can get rid of a few technicians that are their highest paying people and they can still function as a business. Whereas we don't have that. Um, you know, if we lose, if, if, if we're in financial trouble, who do we cut? Right. Do we cut Fernando? Do we cut your brother or your, your technician or you? I mean, you know, because I'm a small business, um, I don't have that middle level management, so I'm not going to lose that. And, and, and it, it's interesting, too, when you think about if you look back through history, whenever we've had a, an economic downturn, when we had the in 2008, the downturn, we actually had people coming to us to get employed because they were furloughed from big companies and big companies have the ability to do that, uh, you know, really tighten the belt during, you know, hard times, small companies, there's not as much to cut. So you have to make it work. You know, you, and I think that the, the smart groups, you know, they were probably charging higher prices by and large. So their labor rates are probably higher. And, 
And they, they probably were watching their parts margins more because those are things that we pay attention to. So there was more um, capital. And then when all this began, we started talking about marketing and, you know, kind of upping our expenses there to drive more car count into our businesses. And I think that's another thing that helped the group members kind of survive um, a, tough, a tough time. So right now we're kind of on this topic of liability and comparing the differences between small businesses and large corporations on liability. So as far as small business is concerned, the liability is much more personal, it seems like, the, the stuff that we have to cover. Um, you, don't, you don't have, you know, if you work in a large corporation, most likely your boss is your boss. He's not your friend. You know, he's not a family member. He's not uh, someone that you've been with for 12 years through thick and thin. And, and yet in small business, you know, we, we tend to be more like a family unit and it's harder uh, to make some of those tough choices. In big business, it's simple. Either they make money or they don't exist. In small business, we can go by for years just scraping by, you know, um, robbing Peter to pay Paul, living off of nickels. And big business can't do that. What if we told you that you could get quality training and education conveniently and without emptying your pockets? Our gear platform presents great education and resources for automotive shops, courses led by experts inside and outside our industry, a community of like-minded people to engage with, and a resource library at your fingertips. With a monthly membership, you can gain access to every course we have in the library, as well as the multiple courses we add each and every month. With the ability to watch wherever and whenever you'd like, gear provides the training you've been looking for at only $129 a month. For help with improving your business, head to ifrave.com and click on the courses we teach to sign up for a better business and a better life today. So we uh, we interviewed a guy, a young tech, 24-year-old from the BMW dealership. We're hoping that we're going to get him here. I'll probably find out Monday. However, he specifically touched on before and after COVID. Um, you know, he was flagging 100 120 hours of pay period before COVID. And then he said after COVID, he's more in the 80 to 90 range. Uh, So that right there just tells me dealerships. I think most dealerships took a huge hit. There's a big, uh, was a six chain shop. Cecil knows of them, not going to name the shop. He lost a shop here in Colorado Springs. He shut down right after COVID hit. Now he, he's more on the, corporate small business level. Um, I actually worked for the guy 12, 13 years ago and it was, it was run like a dealership, very cutthroat, less personable. So I definitely agree with the, the personable, the family orientation factor of a true small business. And if you stay true to the roots of, Hey, we treat customers like family. There are friends. We want to know things about them. Uh, they're going to come to you. They're going to make sure you get support and stay in business. And I think that a lot of dealerships just simply don't have that. Dealerships are turn and burn mentality. They're set up to, to their numbers. They go off numbers. They do not care about the actual quality of the repair compared. I'm not saying they don't care at all, but compared to my shop, I've got 125 Google reviews, five stars, you look me up online, a hundred of those are testimonials, name dropping me, my shop foreman. So we, we have a huge following. We don't advertise and we had our best year ever in 2020 after COVID hit. Funny too, I have another guy that I actually just talked with this morning who had three shops when COVID started and he just bought his sixth. So th- there are some people, you know, uh, Seth is on his third, he's building, it will be done soon right so while while some guys you know i think the corporate mentality um i think there's a i think that causes certain things and and there are some that are good and some that are bad i mean i think it's easier to hold people accountable in the corporation Uh, uh personally because we're involved with people on a more personable level, it's a little t- tougher in a small business, I think, to hold your people accountable, make sure that they're, you know, 100%. 
So, and, and corporate, hang on, um, I will let you get in in just a sec. Corporate also has more of a funnel. So if they lose 20 techs, you know, they can funnel more in later, uh, even from maybe one, another store or something, whereas I, I can't do that. I have to have my techs perform and be part of the team and be successful. So that, that was going to lead into something I, I, I kind of wanted to talk about is employee dependency. Because we're small and every person counts, uh, we become dependent on our employees a little more so than uh, what you were saying, Dad, with a corporate company. They have a funnel. They can replace you, whereas it's much harder for small businesses to do that. I think, I think it's more of a mentality issue than a funnel. Um, we, in, in small business, at least all the small businesses I know, we feel like we owe that employee something. So if you have a guy that's been with you for a while and he's a decent tech, maybe he's grouchy or grumpy and he doesn't quite fit or he's having a struggle right now, you're more likely to work with that guy. If you work with a corporation, a big corporation, and they don't see the performance, then the manager is tasked with get rid of that guy and we'll replace him with somebody else. So I, I don't know that it's it's that they have a giant funnel. I think it's it's more about structure and about how you think as an owner or a, a manager in a, in a big corporation or as an owner or a manager in a small company. We get attached to our people and we think that our people are um, indispensable. You know, well, I, I, I can't do without Kent. You know, I mean, the, the company wouldn't run. Yes, uh, job security. You know, uh, and yet, frankly, my advice is that no one in your company who is not following the company line, drinking the Kool-Aid, you know, pulling their weight, working towards their goals is indispensable. They're all dispensable if they're not doing the right things in your company. Unfortunately, in small business, we, we attach ourselves and we don't quite see it that way. A good service advisor could mean the difference between money in the bank or money out of your pocket. So, how are you supposed to create confident and capable service advisors? Well, the Advisor Mastery Program from the Institute is designed to create career-oriented advisors. With a guided step-by-step -step curriculum, one-on-one -on -one coaching, community trainings, performance tracking, and more, it's no wonder why advisors who have finished the program have seen their efforts rewarded with more confidence, higher arrows, and better sales. If you're ready to stop settling for mediocre and start ruling the counter, join the Advisor Mastery Program today. Head to weartheinstitute.com forward slash service dash advisor dash training and register now. We'll see you in class. So Fernando, what benefits do you see in having that personable, uh, you know, attachment to employees? The advantage I see is if you have a personable relationship you have a positive company culture. When you step out as the, the manager or the owner out of the building, all of your employees will continue to operate as if you were there because they are part of the business. They are not, you know, you're, they're not family. You're not, you may not be going home to eat dinner with them, but they see that you put energy in to make sure that you as the business owner have all the tools for them to succeed, for them to make a profit, for them to provide for their family. And in, in turn, that reciprocates and they'll give it back to you. But what Cecil was saying, you have to have, you have to make sure that all of your employees have a positive, that there is a positive work environment and that they work as a team. Because if there's, um, if there's any bitterness there, if there's any anything where they are, um, there's a wedge, it'll show eventually, and and that's where I think you need to have that management. You need to have the person who is in charge of the employees. It may be a, a shop foreman or the 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 CEO. He has to make sure that is everybody gets along, whether you're there or you're not there. And I feel like you have that personable you can have that one-on-one -on -one connection where you can speak with all of your employees. If you have one or if you have 10, you can connect with each one of them and we'll all be on the same page. I wonder what the statistical data would show. I mean, if we did a, if we did a, a research on productivity when the manager steps out in a big corporation and on a small business, when the owner steps out, I wonder if we would hold up as small businesses 
Um, I think in many small businesses where you have good culture, you know, I think culture is everything. And frankly, I mean, culture creates a lot or screws a lot of things up. Um, I would bet that a small company with a good culture, you would see the employees continue and you'd have just as high productivity as you would otherwise. But I wonder about the dysfunctional small companies, which is actually the larger part. Most small companies are, are, are just like families. They're dysfunctional in some way. Um, right. So I wonder, right, if that that's why true. That's why I touched on the company culture that yeah. everybody wants to be there. You go to work because you want to be there and you're getting paid well and you're making a profit. And it's also in the employee's best interest to give it all of their energy, to make sure that everybody's there showing up and giving it their 100%. And uh, I, I can speak for when I worked at the dealership, there was such a big chain of command. And we were, it was 50 technicians in, in the main shop and another 15 in the small shop uh, with three foremans. And there, I'd say 90% of the technicians were just, you know, slacking off. They really weren't, they, they weren't giving it their 100%. And it, there was a disconnect there. Maybe it was, there needed to be uh, better management. I'm, I'm sure that was part of it. But I know in our small business, if Zane, if you see one of your technicians that usually produces 105, he's usually at, at 105% efficiency. If he drops down to 80 or 75, you're going to go talk to him and see, you know, what's going on. You're going to see it first off. You're going to see it. And then if you, uh, I, so I feel like I made a mistake the first five years uh, from when I started on my shop. So. I started my shop, I was 26 years old, uh, 2009, and I, I kind of ran it with an iron fist. Uh, if a guy wasn't good, he didn't last a week. Um, obviously, that was the wrong approach. Now, within the last seven years, I've really practiced having empathy and trying to problem solve. And we're still a very small shop. We're a crew of uh, five at the moment. Uh, however, that's the thing. If you take the right approach and you try to build up your tech, you know, typically you're not going to see that in a big corporate mindset. They just go off numbers and then they have bonus incentives. But if you truly take the time and the empathy and you let your employees and techs, service writers and shop former know that the end goal is their job security. And the fact that you want them to want to be there and perform well for you, you're, you're not going to lose techs. Uh, just talking to my newest tech's fiance, she's a service writer, very young service writer at a shop. It's been in business for 82 years in Colorado Springs or just south of Colorado Springs. And they are down to, they went from five techs before COVID. And right now for two months, they've had one tech. Wow. This is an eight bay shop. So I'm not saying they're not a small business, but they obviously probably were, were ruling with the iron fist. And that just doesn't work anymore. It's 2021. Uh, if you don't have empathy, if you don't have a positive shop culture or business culture, you are going to struggle. You're going, to, you're going to have a high turnover rate with your employees and your customer base, and it's not going to pan out well. So when it comes to taking care of your employees, um, obviously benefits comes into the conversation. And do you guys think that we have a unique challenge with benefits or supplying benefits for our employees as a small business? Absolutely. So I've been really working on benefits, um, figuring them out. So right now we're, we can offer AFLAC, accident, and maybe a dental plan. I can do at least a minimum, depending on their qualification, $250 an HSA account. I do a simple IRA after six months and I'll match up to 3000 a year. Uh, they earn a week's paid vacation every six months and get up to six paid sick days a year. That's really tapping me out at the moment, but we are growing. And as soon as I get the next uh, A tech that I'm after, then I know 
like we're, we're booked out three weeks. We don't advertise. Once I feel that we need to advertise, then I know we're going to be able to offer basically hopefully full, full medical and health benefits. So, so dad, I wonder if you have some uh, unique insight into this, but how, how would a small business go about approaching uh, providing benefits? I think that's one of our um, Achilles heels in small business. You know, it's funny because, uh, you know, you start second guessing, you know, can I afford that? You know, my labor rate is X, you know, obviously customers pay for everything. So if I'm going to do medical, well, you know, it's, it's really a mathematical kind of formula at my shop. We were doing a thousand hours a month. So if I anticipated a cost of four grand, I traced my labor rate four bucks an hour. Actually, at that point, I probably would have went eight because I would have, you know, I would double that because I, when you anticipate expense, it doesn't mean that's what the expense would be. So, you know, I, I think one of our big issues as small businesses in the automotive industry is we're not providing the kind of environment that is attractive. We're not the cool place to go to work today. Uh, we don't have enough pay. We don't have enough benefits. Um, you know, there's no prestige uh, to being a, a mechanic or an automotive technician um, like there would be to being a doctor or a lawyer or something, in, you know, in those lines. And so a lot of people are pushed that way, both by their parents and their associates and by society in, in, a, in a way. And I think that's detrimental to small business, but we have the ability to make those adjustments. I mean, you know, if I looked at, I'll raise my labor rate five bucks an hour. I, I like automotive because it's so simple in that we're doing this many hours and I need this money to provide this benefit. So here's, here's where I get it. You know, I just go to the well and dip into the well. But I think one of the negatives is, um, you know, it's funny because you and I today at lunch, we're kind of talking about this, you yeah. know, um, you know, I've got a consultant that I'm working with that wants me to have some clients that are actually paying, you know, uh, 10 grand a month, uh, uh, you know, real personal. And that's way higher than anything we've ever done. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, and I'm saying, I don't think that's possible in the automotive industry, but is that true? It, are there, you know, 10 or 20 people out there, shops that would, would pay for that and would want that? It, it, we we went up. We we came across four things, right? That we were looking at. It's it's the the um, perception that you have for your own value, the perception that your clients have for your value, uh, what you can provide, and what they can afford. And you have to. Right? So in in small business, you know, you may have in a in a big corporation, you know, it, it's kind of this it's kind of this slow moving wheel that just moves all the time. And, and there are people out doing research about pricing and, you know, can we raise our price? Cause a three cent increase on a can of soda makes, you know, Coca-Cola or Pepsi millions. Dollars, okay. Yeah. But, but on a small level, we look at it, say a $10 labor rate increase and we're like, Oh my God, I, I really don't know. Um, man, that doesn't feel comfortable. I think, that, that too many of my clients are going to say no. Now, with all that said, I've watched company after company after company raise their labor rates with no real kickback from the clients. I mean, there's always one or two that are like, yeah, you're getting a little pricey for me. Yeah. But the majority of the clients are like, okay, it's what it is. I mean, how many of you, you know, went into, I don't know, Burger King or McDonald's or whatever to buy one of those meals and found out it was $4 more than the last time you paid for it. And, and you said, never mind, I'm not going to buy that. You bought it anyway because right. you were hungry and you needed it and blah, blah, blah. So as a small business, I think a lot more of our personal prejudice um, comes in, into play. You know, I, I don't, I don't know if I go out and tell that mechanic who's not doing what I really want him to do. He's, he's not getting along with people and, He's a good producer, but, you know, I don't know if I can put up with his crap. If I go tell him no more of that crap, is he going to leave me? I think he is. I don't, I don't want to do that because here's a guy that produces, even though he screws everybody else up. Or, you know, I don't want to raise my labor rate by 10 bucks an hour, even though that's what, would, that's what would pay for my medical because 
I'm afraid if I raise my labor rate, uh, that 10 bucks, I will lose too many customers. Or that all of a sudden, everybody will say, oh my gosh, they went up 10 bucks. Those guys, what, who do they think they are? You know, so we, our, I think our personal prejudice or our personal ideas that may not be accurate or on target come into play a lot more in a small business because I'm the guy that makes the decision. It's not a, it's not a team of people, even a, a corporate CEO of, of General Electric who makes a lot of decisions doesn't make any decision by himself. He doesn't make 1% of the decisions by himself. They're all made by committee, by a group of of people in a sense. So, so do you feel like you have much more responsibility on your shoulders as a small business owner than you do in the corporate world? Ken, I wanted to add to the the benefits um, topic that we were talking about. I think when we think benefits, usually we just think of um, medical but there's a I'll lot give it, more than that. There's a lot more than that. And I'll give an example. Our tech is 26 years old and he is, um, he's great as a mechanic, right? But in his personal life, he didn't know what a credit card was. He has a, an, an older vehicle. He's still, he doesn't, he's not a homeowner. He's still renting. So Benefits don't always come in, in that form of uh, medical or paying more money or guarantees. It's helping this person grow where he, you can, for our tech, he now has a credit card. And now what I'm implementing and I'm going to structure is part of his pay is going to go straight for, to a savings account. So let's say 10% goes straight to a savings account, and this will be towards him purchasing his own home. So, so it's, it's so much more than you're just coming to work. You're, you're, there's a goal there. There's a motivation and there's a light. There's something that we're chasing. So again, it helps us all as a team. And, and um, that goes in in any way, you know. If even if you're already a homeowner, what would you like? You'd like a boat, all right? Let's get you that boat. <laughs> you know, it's just, and that I'm, doesn't cost us anything. I'm I'm thinking toilet paper, burritos, lunch. You know, <laughs> I'm thinking because those are benefits. I mean, do you uh, feed do you feed your employees? Do yeah, you provide? You, actually, uh, Ed Fernand or uh, sorry, uh, Ed this morning about? posted something about. Um, providing financial uh, education for your employees. I think, it, hang on, Smart Dollar, uh, online financial wellness solution by Dave Ramsey for the workplace uh, to help employees change their money habits for the long-term. So having, having a company or business provide those resources to your employees to help them gain financial stability and 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 all of that. Yeah, some sort of guidance because it's not because Cecil, yeah. what you said, you know, the, the toilet paper and the lunch, all <laughs> that. You can do that too, but um, I mean that costs you, which is okay. But other companies are doing that. Zane, you, you have want to be something a little to add? different. I think Fernando hit it on the money as far as besides medical. You're talking the podcast is about what advantages do we have as a smaller small business and he hit on the money if you can be a mentor and a father figure to your younger techs employees uh, receptionists office managers anybody and you get involved in their life just enough because you do care and then they know you care i mean you got an advantage right there and and, and guess what it's free it doesn't cost you anything to be a mentor and it will make you more money. Yeah. And that's, that's what I was speaking of when, if you do step out that they will be there and they'll be dedicated to it because they have a reason. Yeah. More I, than just a financial I, um, I can do incentive. Sorry. Sorry to jump in. I put a door up. There used to be a total opening right there. I, I put a wall and a door up because I had to, but then I took the time and I, Got with my whole crew, and I said, "Guys, please make sure I don't get interrupted for this podcast." We got signs, you know, "Don't knock on the door." Uh, <laughs> meeting in progress, so I think this is the first time that I've truly gotten away 
but it's because finally we're at a point and they know that I'm in here trying to accelerate the business and make sure that we stay on top and we don't go anywhere and they have job security. So, you know, if you take the time and explain to everybody, look, this is why I'm doing this. Um, I, I think, you know, people are going to understand better than if you just say, Hey, I'm not available or Hey, don't interrupt me. You gotta, you gotta figure out how to truly treat people in every aspect of how you manage them. And if you hit it on the money, I think, I believe just as long as I've known Cecil in the first business course I took with Cecil up in Denver, 2019, I believe it was, I could, I had a vision of how he had run his shops. And I feel like Cecil probably was like the greatest father figure at the time in the automotive industry. I think you have to be, I think you have to be careful because, um, the father figure thing, there's too many bad relationships with dads and sons and all of that. And, and so sometimes I know I hate my dad. Yeah, so. I know. you. Do. But, <laughs> but, but it's an, it's almost a natural thing. If you take leadership and you are a, a true leader within your company and people look to you and respect you, you're almost thrown into that role, whether you like it or not. Um, I like the mentor role. I think even with your children, you know, as they age, your relationship changes. And now I'm more of a counselor to Kent than, than what I was 10 years ago, you know, um, or, or 20 years ago. So uh, I think the same thing happens in a sense or should happen with your employees is that what you do is you help them make good choices and good decisions. So they create those good habits and then you can back away and just be there when they need you. To, to give them that that next thing that they might need or want uh, in, a, in a growth sense. So something that's coming to mind right now is we used to have apprenticeships. I mean, like back in the day, and I mean, back in the day, you had things that were apprenticeships. And not only did you go and say, you know, blacksmithing, you learned blacksmithing and you, you were a novice and were apprenticed to someone but you didn't just learn how to shape metal, but you also learned the lifestyle of a blacksmith and you learned uh, how they manage their lives and, and creating that, that shop. Whereas now it's, you come in and you do this job. So I think small businesses have an opportunity to get back in line with that, that apprenticeship approach. And we use that term a lot, but I think it goes beyond just fixing vehicles. I, I, I think it does step into um, how are you providing financial stability for yourself? How are you building equity in your life? How are you um, treating yourself physically and mentally? How are you managing all of these things? Because we we work constantly. We've worked now more than ever before, uh, even with COVID. We're working at home now, and now it's it's not. And this is something that I did, you know, talked about with millennials and and the generational shift with technology, but. We can work 24 hours a day now. I mean, I have my phone that has my website and all of my stuff in it where I'm getting hit constantly. Fernando, earlier in our meeting, my phone was going off. I was like, someone else is on the website. And uh, it, it, you can't turn it off anymore, right? So how do we integrate the important things of life into how we treat our employees as a small business? Because I feel like it's a lot harder for larger businesses to do that. Yeah, that, just something I was thinking of. We need to implement a four-day work week. <laughs> well, we have, we have, we have, or, or make the work not that. so terrible. <laughs> well, you know, you you look at <coughs> what Fernando was talking about, creating better lifestyle overall for your people. Uh, you know, becoming more of a an influencer in their lives for good than just a boss who says do this job. Um, I, I don't know that I want to be apprenticed to somebody in the 1400s where, you know, you lived with them and they beat you and, <laughs> Just, and you know, <laughs> but I wouldn't mind today working for a good boss who truly wants what's best for me and, and helps me to go get it and gain it. Yeah. So I have to pivot because I think we're over time actually. Uh, this has been a really fun conversation. So it's just been going along. I haven't been paying attention to the time. Um, I want to thank you. If you are listening to this, 
uh, and you're enjoying it and you you may have picked up on something, uh, please let us know in the comments down below. Make sure to like and subscribe so that you can keep notified when we post new content. I want to remind you guys that you can get a lot of resources from us as consultants and trainers and educators on our website at gearforshops.com. And I want to tell you guys about the marketing conference we have coming up at the end of July, uh, July 30th and 31st. We're bringing in seven marketing experts from different realms, from geofencing to strategy to guerrilla tactics. All of that is going to be at our Mars conference uh, July 30th and 31st, where you're going to have one-on-one time, uh, great opportunity to network and bump elbows with some of the best in the industry. And we would hope to see you guys there. You can check that out at weartheinstitute.com forward slash Mars dash conference. And uh, let's get back to questions. I want to talk a little bit more um, about how we have some benefits against larger businesses in the realm of government regulations, the rise in federal income tax, tax compliance, and the economy as it stands right now. I don't. I don't think we do. Um, one of the <laughs> one of the problems that I foresee uh, for the industry, and it's been there as long as I've been in it, is we don't have a real voice in Washington. We don't have. We're a bunch of independent business people who cannot agree on two things. Um, you know, even in this room, if we, you know, uh, talked about certain things. Zane might feel one way, Fernando might feel another, and I might feel a third way, and Kent might feel a fourth way, and we're going to all go do what we feel, and, and we have not come together as an industry to get that, that strength. Um, and I don't know if it's ever going to happen, because we are independent business people, and it's independent in the name. Um, yeah, but you have, you, ha- you have a lot of standardization, I guess you could say, in, you know, dental and uh, AC repair, right? They're, they're regulated. Even the way they charge is, is uh-huh. the same, uh, not exact rate, but the, the way that they do things is pretty much the same throughout the industry. Um, and if you, went, if, if you went to dentists and you, you needed a crown, I'll bet you that it would be within $100, even if you went to 10 different states. So I think there is kind of a price fixing in a sense because those people are talking more and they're, and they're communicating more about what they're doing and how they're doing it. And that doesn't happen as much or as well in the industry. You know, Fernando said, you know, the smart group guys, I know a bunch of smart group guys. We didn't lose any smart group people during COVID. They, 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 they're all still here. They're all still in business. Most of them are doing better than they were having record months, but I think a couple with part, record years too. I think, yeah, in part, I think it's because it's a group of shop owners who uh, help each other and who learn from each other. Whereas in the industry, we have a bunch of individual shop owners doing their individual things. Um, so we have that freedom, but I think when you talk about say government regulation, government influence, we don't have that. Uh, and therefore, that's um, a negative, if you ask me, for being a small businessman, especially in the automotive industry. I How think, do you, uh, I yeah, Zane, I was going to say, how, what do you think, you know? So I, I heard a podcast, uh, Carl Capriato, recently, and they're finally, there's a group of automotive, you know, owners that are working on getting into D.C., but yeah, no, I, I mean, I've been hearing podcasts for years now about the fact that it's kind of shocking we are not regulated. A plumber has to be licensed. A mm-hmm. has to be licensed. Contractors have to be licensed. And, and the problem is this. Because they do that, now they all can say, we need to charge this. Electricians make good money these days. 10, 20 years ago, shop foremans were making 120000 at a dealership when houses were a lot cheaper. Our industry has not grown with inflation, which is a huge problem. And there's a huge bad rap because of all the shops that are not qualified to fix the car. There's more cars. They're still the working on vehicles. Yeah. Way more cars on the road than there are qualified technicians to fix them. And it's going to be a huge battle to get that 
table to turn. But yeah, we we, we do need to be regulated. Um, and then we could all probably charge more. And then there would be more fair market as far as, okay, we know that if this shop's brake job fails or the wheels come off, we can go after them. And then that will will deal, that'll mitigate and put the shops that don't have any business being in this business out of business. Well, and that's, I, I think that's what's preventing us from moving forward with this, that there's too many guys out there that feel like I couldn't qualify. And, and I think that's part of the issue. Whatever we do, it has to be a partnership with the, the government and the industry and within the industry. We need a way to grandfather the guys that are here in and apprentice them, teach them how to be better business owners, better technicians, uh, and bring all of that up to a higher level. And if we can do that as an industry, now we can charge more money. Now we can make a better living and we can provide for our people in, in a better way. And that may be forced on us because of this technician shortage that we currently have. I mean, I don't think there's a shop owner right now that wouldn't take a great technician if the guy walked in the door uh, because they're just not out there. And, and, and we, I don't know, we need to do something. I'm actually working with Carm on this. So that's why I was kind of smiling. Um, we're going to start moving forward with some ideas to solve some of these uh, industry problems. Uh, there are, there's a bunch of us uh, coaches and consultants that are kind of putting the effort in here. And, uh, and hopefully we can move some of these ideas forward. So we quit talking about it. And we start getting it accomplished in our industry. Yeah. The, and only, pretty the only solution is going to be, so you got to have a degree to be a doctor or a lawyer or a surgeon. You got to go to the university for that. There needs to be some universities for shop owners, how to run a shop and how to be a top technician. If we had that, it would be more attractive for people coming out of high school to want to get in this business. This business has the wrong reputation. Now that we are getting into hybrids and EVs, it's crazy to think that there's going to be an even bigger shortage in 10 years from now if the industry as a whole doesn't do anything about it. Like, and, and pretty soon, if we don't do anything about it, the government's going to step in and do it for us. They have to because there's too much liability for the consumer, especially with EVs and all of that. Yeah. Right. Smart cars. Car of today. I mean, when I was working on cars as a, you know, as a young man, uh, I I pulled the plug wire or if I got shocked by the car, it gave me a little tingle, but it didn't kill me. Today's cars can kill you just by working on them incorrectly. And the, 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 the sophistication, which is nothing anybody doesn't know in our industry, has gotten so sophisticated that I need a university-level education to really work on that car and do it successfully. And I'm not talking about a university education necessarily. I'm saying a university-level education because there's a lot of guys in our industry that have more education than they could ever gain if they went to a university. Um, and and it, Unfortunately, I mean, there's some great, like Weber State University here in Utah. It's one of the best technical schools there is. If you want to learn how to fix, you know, rebuild uh, transmissions and fix cars and do computer work, that's one of the places. It's one of the top two in the United States. But they don't teach business there. They don't teach automotive business. And they don't teach how the numbers have to be due and marketing and, you know, um, not specific to what we are and what we do. And I think we need that in our industry. Can I add one thing to that specifically? Uh, when I was 16 years old, I, I was kicked out of high school. I was a bad kid. Automotive repair saved my life, literally. I was on a bad path. I went to Mendocino Junior College and had probably the best automotive teacher in the world. Steve Fowler, he used to be an engineer for Ford, Toyota, and GM, and he built airplanes and street rods. The guy took me under his wing. Uh, it was free. I, it was junior college. They had a great automotive program. The first class I took was high-performance engines. This guy took me under his wing, showed me how to rebuild a BMW four-cylinder when I was 16 years old, do a three-angle valve job, taught me the fundamentals of diagnostics. I got lucky that I 
that my mom found that and put me in that, I would not be here today if it wasn't for Steve Fowler. So I know that if we had more Steve Fowlers out there, that there would be a lot more better technicians. Part of the part of the problem is it's not profitable. Well, and if there and if you don't have the resources to to provide the education there, meaning that we don't have the money to fund stuff like that, and we don't have the money for technicians coming into the industry to make a living, then it's not going to happen. What what's what's worse is we have fewer Steve Fowlers out there. And, and the reason why is because the funds, the government funds are not there and the industry is not stepping up and because we can't agree to anything. Right. The industry itself needs to become a force where we can fund guys like Steve Fowler and create programs that will uh, mentor these people into the industry and make the industry a place where you can be successful and make a good living. So... So I want to bring this back to the conversation of the podcast, being that, you know, what are the disadvantages and advantages of a small business? Well, one of the disadvantages right now in our industry is that, you know, we're not, we're not standardized. We don't have that kind of regulation. The benefit is that we could, we have the opportunity there to come together and do something great with it. So I'd like to, to add to that, Ken, the, uh, yeah. as far as the opportunity is... There are a lot of shops that are not qualified and they're not up to date with the tools, with the training and a, a huge issue in our industry is customer service. I'm on the front page of, our, of, of my business because I am the advisor. So I'm connecting with our clients and the common denominator is that they're, um, they took the car somewhere and they didn't fix it. Right. They took the car somewhere and they they took a week longer than expected. They didn't call them and tell them how much it was to fix the car. They just said it's ready and you owe us fifteen hundred dollars. And um, so for us that we are the best in our industry, we are the cream of the crop. Once that client or customer finds us, they're happy to find us. They're 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 not focused on the price. What is the most important to them when they bring their vehicle in for service or repair is that it's it is, the work is performed correctly and that they don't have to come back. So the, the their issue was resolved. It wasn't that you're, you know, you're $40 more expensive than the other shop. You will have those from time to time, but most importantly is that they they that this creates this window of opportunity for us because the standard is so low and, and we spoke on it before Cecil, I, I raised my labor rate up $40 in one shot. Yeah. And did you have anybody bat an eye at it? I didn't lose any customers. And, and when that happened, I started to get better quality of work. You know, it was, um, you have your price shoppers and then you have, like Cecil said, this car's paid off. Um, I like it. It has value to me. Yeah, I'll put $4,000 into it. I mean, it, it needs some suspension work and that's okay. One of the, one of the, Go ahead. One of the funny things as a consultant, and I've been doing this now for a little over 20 years, the shops that I have that work with us that have the highest labor rates and, and, you know, probably the highest average repair orders, et cetera. Those are the most successful and the most consistent businesses there are. The guy that's running a cheap discount type business is, is fighting every day to get clients in his door. And the guy that's running a good business is like Zane, who's got three weeks worth of people lining up to, to work on their cars. And I would tell Zane, if you're three weeks out, raise your leg a bit. See if you can't calm that down to two <laughs> And I wanted to touch. <laughs> I wanted to touch on the labor rate real quick, and then a question for Fernando. So our landlords, our property management company, they're great. I got a really good deal when I moved in here before the market skyrocketed for whether it's residential, commercial rentals. It's outrageous here, but they raise it three percent, and it's based off the Denver market. And here's the deal. If they can do that, I just cut them a check. 
If they can do that, we can do that. Okay. Everybody if else we, does that. If we, everybody does it except automotive, small automotive repair shops. We need to raise our shop rate roughly, approximately 3% a year to compete with inflation. And, and, and that's all I have on that. And then hang on, let me, I have to caveat that <laughs> because I have to, we have to bring our labor rates up to what is, is right. Meaning I can afford to pay my people well, provide benefits, et cetera. Then after we hit that point, now we have to raise it 3%. There year. you go. Just as a part of that's, that's business. That's life. how does, how does the math break down dad? So we've had the same rough, roughly the same labor rate since 1970. Right. Um, well, if you look at if maybe you, a little bit more, if you look at labor rates and it, let's, I did, I did a, in 1980, if you were charging $70 an hour, 1980, um, and you raised your labor rate three bucks an hour today, uh, in 3%, 3, 3%, excuse me, every year in 2021, you would be right around, I think it's 248, 247. So, so right around 240 yep. bucks an hour. Uh, and that's only if you raise your labor rate yeah. 3% to follow what traditionally would be inflation. Um, my, my, my AC blew out and I had to have a tech come and look at my AC unit. He was there for 15 minutes. He fitted a new capacitor and it was 300 bucks. And I guarantee you the capacitor <laughs> was probably 60 or $70 and the rest was labor. My yep. washing machine died. Guy came out, spent five minutes, five minutes hooking a piece of you know, electronics up to it. Told me it fried the motherboard. It's too old. You won't find one. Even if you did, you don't want to do that. You need a new washing machine. That's $167. And, and you know what? We, we paid it. Yeah. And we now <laughs> bought a new washing machine. Here's so. the thing. Would you rather have a guy fix it right in 15 minutes and charge you 200 bucks or spend three hours not fix it and walk away and not even hand you a bill? No, I have to. I have to clean. I have to have clean clothes. I need a washing machine. Yep. That's right. I, I, it's weird. It's weird. It's almost like clean clothes is more of a precedent than having a vehicle so that you can travel to work or to the grocery store. <laughs> you, Zane, you had a question for Fernando, right? And you're so you're saying that you're paying for the expertise and experience. Uh, I was just curious, Fernando. What city are you in, and what's your shop rate? I'm in Royal Palm Beach. It's about an hour north of Miami in, in Florida. Okay. And our shop rate is 189 and 43 cents. Very nice. That makes me want to raise mine. And I talked to somebody who's in the Denver area, has multiple shops recently. They just went to 165. And he's talking about going up another 10 to $20 because we we've got to learn how to take care of our employees and and pay these benefits and and make this an interesting place for people to be. Yeah, you can't um, grow if you don't raise your shop rate. Yeah, so, um, just to, to add to that, um, you have, I think most of us were we're shop owners, right? So we start off with the foundation of we were mechanics. Okay, so we have this through our eyes and our and and everything we know this job takes X amount of time and, and we kind of have this guilt thing where we're charging too much or, or I can't believe this costs that much. And um, then you have, which is where I benefit with my business partner and my brother, Jonathan, that he has no mechanical um, background or, or in service with vehicles. And for, for us, a, say a vehicle comes in with a no start, a BMW 2014 335 comes in with a no start. And um, at the beginning, for me to charge 378 to diagnose the vehicle was like, I felt like that was too expensive. And he brings light, he sheds light on it. And he's like, so you're telling me that for, for $378, you're going to tell me what's wrong with my car, my BMW. For three hundred dollars, you're gonna tell me. That's it. You're gonna tell me what's wrong with BMW. Asking more for my dryer, baby. That's what I want. Right? He's like, yeah. yeah, I would pay that. Like, I would pay that with, without a problem. So, we need to separate ourselves by the um, what we see as how much time or cost, and we need to see as we're providing a solution. This is how much it costs to fix the vehicle, and and when I've when I've done that. Um, my, my average repair order, 
last month, I mean, we were at 2,400 for the month. And, and this month we're tracking that as well. And we've had some, some big tickets, <laughs> you know, but I think that that all goes with your, um, when you raise your standard, you have a different standard of, of customers and they have their own. Um, You're setting a different precedent with them. You set a different precedent. Well, and I, have to, I have to say something here. I, I, I just have to. Part of the problem is this mentality that we carry with us from youth. Uh, Zane, who I think is frozen right at the moment, he may unfreeze, but Zane was talking about, you know, he came at 16, they kicked him out of school, said he was a bad kid. Uh, my father, same kind of thing. Um, and so we bring this stuff with us. We at the Institute have gear for shops, G-E-A-R. And, and there is so much education there that is free education. That is, that is um, you know, if you, want, if you want to get something inexpensively to help you, you know, make hundreds or thousands of dollars in your business, it's there on gear. Yeah. Groups, the, the, the World Pack sponsored smart groups that we run, the RLO bottom line impact groups that are now a part of our family, those groups are very inexpensive for the knowledge and the education and the companionship of other people that have overcome these things and can help you overcome those things. And I think that's a benefit to being a small business is that I have these opportunities. And it's also a curse to being a small business because if I don't take advantage of these opportunities, I get stuck. I'm, 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 I have blinders on and I only think one way. And that one way is not necessarily what's best for me, my business, my employees, and my family. Right. And so, oh, well, go ahead, just, man. I was just going to add that um, it seems like in, in, in any sport, you know, you, you have a coach. Right. If you want to be better at something, you need to seek training. Yeah. You need to, because we've said it before and I got it from Cecil. You don't know what you don't know. So for me, myself, I remember I went from when, when I worked at, um, when I worked at the dealer by, I left in, in July and I was trying to make over, over, I was going to make six figures that year. That was going to be my highest year. And uh, I left and I actually left in June. And then I went to uh, opening my own shop and I changed the whole set of tires and made like 60 something dollars. And I was looking, looking at these, <laughs> at the dollars and I'm just, I'm looking at these three Andrew Jacksons and I'm just like, holy smokes, man. Like I was a lot of work to make 60 bucks. I continued, we continued, and somewhere along the lines, another shop owner that told me, you know, we're all in the trenches together and you should check out this, this smart group. You should check out this training. Now I saw kind of what, um, what this could be, where, where if, if, if you continue to be adaptable, fluid, willing to learn, and now you have some sort of structure. There's a standard operating procedure. There's a, what was at the beginning, you didn't even know what, an average, what the standard is for an average repair order. You didn't know how to charge certain things. And um, when you continue education, then you can have a, like we were speaking of earlier, Kent, an organizational chart. You can start to delegate because was, we're, not, we're not born knowing how to manage. We're not born knowing how to run a shop. And, and the reality is that the shop is how we make, how, how we generate income, but fixing a car is a third of the business. And it mm -hmm. goes way beyond that. And we are, we know how to fix a car. We need to learn how to manage a business. We need to learn how to secure our future. We need to make sure that we'll be here in 10 years, make a profit, secure our yeah. retirement, um, make it generational. And, and that comes with training. As an industry of small businesses. Right. Yeah. So unfortunately, we are way over time. It's a really good conversation. Um, got a little off track there, but that's okay because it really is. I mean, small business incorporates every part of this. Um, so with that, we're going to just end out. Um, wonderful note to leave leave on there, Fernando. 
I want to remind you guys, if you enjoyed this or you learned something new or you want to share it so someone else can benefit from this podcast, please like, share, and follow our page so that you can be notified when we publish new content. Uh, I want you to tune in on July 7th because we are doing a pretty hot topic and we've got some really interesting panelists and we're going to be discussing gross profit margin versus gross profit dollars. The uh, the disagreement of uh, a lifetime. I don't I don't know how to <laughs> and uh, remind you that you can get up and uh, get some marketing training at the Mars Con- Mars Marketing Conference this year. Uh, July 30th and 31st. You can register at Gear for Shops, or excuse me, not Gear for Shops. We are the institute.com forward slash Mars conference. And we will see you guys next week. Thank you guys. Thanks, All right, Amanda. gentlemen. Pleasure. That's it for this one. This episode was brought to you by gearforshops.com and the Institute. To find more episodes or for more information about the services we provide, visit iforabe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next one.